Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. Happy Sabbath. Twelve weeks have passed by, and here we are at the conclusion of the book of Daniel. We are in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, and this ends our series in the book of Daniel. I want to thank the elders, each of them by name, Ken, Deborah, Ted, Duane, for taking their time to prepare to preach their own portion of the book of Daniel. Daniel is not an easy book, yet the Lord has given this church and and his people the wisdom to understand this book here in the last days of earth's history. And so for that, I am eternally grateful. And we end today on Daniel chapter 12. I'm going to ask you a silly question, but it has a point. So follow me here. Would you date this person? Yes or no? Would you date this person? I hope the answer is no. I would not date this person because it's just lacking all, it's lacking heart, brain, skin, things. So the obvious answer to this silly question is that you wouldn't date this person because it's not a person. But now let me ask you, would you date this person or any of these individuals to the right? right? There's a young lady over there that said, top right, Andrew, right? And there's somebody there that Andrew would date. Right. But what's the difference is that the ones, whether it's your taste or not, the ones on the right are human beings, are people who are alive, people you recognize. Now, let me ask you another question. Would you date the people on the right if they didn't have what's on the left? But wait a minute. You said you would date the person on the right. But the understanding is that the person on the right has what's on the left, because if you don't have what's on the left, you're not going to be what's on the right. And so the book of Daniel, in a lot of ways, is similar. This 2,300-day prophecy is like the skeleton. It undergirds everything. However, the, the, the meat and flesh of it is the fact that Jesus is our Redeemer, that Jesus is our judge, and that Jesus is coming back for you and for me. This is the reason Michael stands up in chapter 12. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 12 Daniel chapter 12 before we start reading in Daniel chapter 12 though let me give you a quick overview in Daniel chapter 2 we had a bird's eye view of the history of this world that God wanted us to know the flow of nations from Babylon to the Medes and the Persian to Greece to Rome to divided Europe to the to divided Europe and then the second coming that ends all continuously without no gap and the next big kingdom that is to come it is a kingdom that we've all been waiting for the kingdom of God where we get to see our loved ones once again in Daniel chapter 7 we started with the notion the prophetic portion that there is a judgment and in this court we win Amen. The saints win because Jesus is our judge. He's our witness. He's our lawyer. He stands in my place. I cannot lose in this judgment. In, ch- in chapter 8, we learned that this judgment would take place at the end of 2,300 days. But what we did not know, what was the starting point? But we were given the assurance that Jesus is continually interceding for you 
and for me. No matter when this judgment takes place, Jesus is by your side protecting you, guiding you, leading you because he has promised that he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it until that day that he comes back in glory. In chapter 9, we were given the parameters of the timeline. We learned what the starting point would be. We learned that the Messiah would arrive, that the Messiah would die, and the end of the probation of the Jewish nation, and when the investigative judgment would begin. And in chapter 10, we saw the great controversy being played out by Michael and Satan. They battle to persuade the mind of Cyrus because God does not force us. And he persuaded Cyrus to issue the decree that started the unconditional timeline that we're about to see. But we learned that this battle is constantly taking place not in some foreign country, not in some foreign land, but it's taking place daily in your mind. Will you lead and love and follow and walk with Jesus? Or would you lead, follow, and walk with the world? That is the battle. That is the ultimate battle because that battle, that war, decides where you and I will spend eternity. So Daniel chapter 10 taught us that, and then Daniel chapter 11 gave us the history of this back and forth conflict. Yes, it was played out in military battles. Yes, it was played out with real people on this planet. However, the battle was always in the mind. Will they obey God or will they disobey God? Will they do the will of God or will they do the will of enemy? And it's fought against nations being led by either the Spirit of God or by the spirit of the enemy. And Daniel chapter 11 ends with the reality that this conflict that you and I are living will end with an issue of a death decree. They will want your life for what you believe. And not just Seventh-day Adventists, because if the pandemic taught us anything in this short microcosm of the two years in light of eternity, if the pandemic taught us anything, is that there are people more than willing to squash people's liberty of conscience than ever before. Nations around the world, what happened in Australia during this pandemic should give us cause to pause that liberty of conscience can be trampled on at any moment and it will be a reality in the future. They will trample our liberty of conscience, our liberty to worship, simply because they believe they're doing what is right, even though they're under the blood-stained banner of Satan, who has shed many people's blood throughout Earth's history, beginning with the blood of Cain and the martyrs during the 1260-year reign of terror. Liberty of conscience is so precious, where you can worship God to the dictates of your own conscience. And if the pandemic taught us anything, is that people and governments are willing to suppress that. As a matter of fact, if some of you notice in the news, the New York City, not New York City, New York State Supreme Court has awarded every employee who lost his job because they did not want to take the vaccine to get their job back and back pay for all the time they lost. Liberty of conscience is precious. 
And so when the death decree is issued, that you must worship God the way they say, instead of the way the word of God says, then you and I have to make a decision. So read with me in verse 1 of chapter 12. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. And what's interesting about that word arise is that you can't, if you're already standing up, you can't arise. So he was sitting down. And the Bible says that this death decree is the last straw that breaks the camel's back. And he decides to stand up. And as we saw in the prophecies throughout Daniel, kingdom after kingdom arise. Arise after the other one. But as I've always said, nothing on this earth. You may be arrested for your faith, killed for your faith in God. But nothing has a last word until my God stands up and says the final word. And his final word for every martyr in Christ will be, arise to your future home and glory. Michael will stand up because everybody in this world has tried to judge the world. But one day Michael will stand up and have the final judgment, the final word. He will stand up because Michael, who is Christ, has been with us every step of the way. And this is the timeline we've been looking at. This is the timeline we've been looking at. This is the bones that undergirds the book of Daniel. And here in Daniel chapter 12. This, once it began, this prophecy was unconditional. It was going to march the way God said it was going to march. However, as we saw in Daniel chapter 10, the beginning was conditional. Cyrus had to issue the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Yet for 21 days, it probably could have started 21 days earlier, but for 21 days there was a battle over the mind of Cyrus. Just like there's a battle over your mind for all of your life. From the moment you're old enough to make your own conscious decision, the age of accountability to follow Christ, there is a battle going on. Who will you serve? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so the decree was issued. These 69 weeks were given. And then in the final week in Daniel chapter 9, it tells us for three and a half years, the Messiah would come. Three and a half years was his ministry. And in the middle of the week, as Daniel 9 told us, he would be cut off. He would be put to death. And as it was so, Jesus died in the final middle week of that prophecy. Then the prophecy went us to tell us that this closed the end of Jewish probation as a nation. If they wanted to remain the favored nation of God, they needed to repent and follow God the way he asked to be followed. But they did not, and it was, it was encapsulated, and it was made certain by the death of one of God's prophets. Just like in the final days, the death decree will be issued, and that will be the final straw right before Michael stands up. But what's interesting here is that Michael stands up at the end somewhere beyond this timeline, and we'll see it. But Michael was at the beginning as well of the time. See, Jesus has been with us fighting this battle every step of the way. It was he that fought with Cyrus. It was he that persuaded Cyrus to issue the decree. So Michael is here. And Michael's at the end, and Michael's in the middle, and Michael's everywhere because Jesus has promised he will never leave you. He will follow you 
till your last dying breath. And that breath, final breath of yours will either declare the glory of God or will turn away from Christ. Either way, love wins. For either his will be done in your life or your will will be done in your life. The pandemic taught us that quickly governments can trample on the liberty of conscience of individuals who see things differently. The battle will be intense and it won't be obscure. You will have to choose between mother and father, sons and daughters, friends and relatives close to you. Are you willing to let go of your spouse if they have denied Christ and stay faithful to Christ? Are you willing to deny your children if they have turned from Christ and you remain faithful to Christ? Are you willing to deny your parents if they have denied Christ and you stay faithful to Christ? Are you willing to remain faithful to Christ even if all your friends and family abandon you? See, this battle is not fought in the Middle East, is not fought in Ukraine, is not fought here in the United States. It's fought in your mind. Who will you stand up on? And will you stand on the God's word? In fact, listen to this in verse 1. Now at this time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And we've been told by the pen of inspiration these words. It is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality. But this is not true of the crisis before us. Women, you've given labor. And you go into birth and you think, man, this is, you know, you're enjoying the baby. The baby's growing. But when those labor pangs begin... It's bad, I know, I've mentioned it. I've seen my wife go through this three times. But there is something magically after she gives birth that somehow there's a relief that comes and a joy as she's holding one of my little girls in her arm. It seems that the labor that was just so intense and so, so difficult has disappeared quickly. And it's the same every time I go to the dentist. I can't stand the dentist. I pretend I'm being tortured for Christ as they're messing with my teeth. But afterwards, oh, that wasn't so bad. Most things, right, are worse than anticipation. That exam, I studied so hard, am I going to be able to pass? And you finally take the exam after having studied. If you didn't study, it's worse throughout the whole thing. But if you study, you realize, oh, man, I did well. You get that A. But she tells us that the crisis, uh, agreeing with the Bible, it's going to be worse in reality than in anticipation. And the only way to survive is to be anchored in Jesus Christ today. Don't wait till the final exam. Don't wait to study the night before the exam. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear His words, if you hear the Spirit of God pleading with you, today is the time to get strong. Don't put it off for tomorrow. For when Michael stands up, it's because the crisis will be in the heat of that battle. And the stress on your mind will be similar to what Christ suffered in Gethsemane. Our Lord and Savior, spotless and sinless, could not see beyond the portals of death. He felt so forsaken by God that he thought he would never see his father again. We're going to feel such intense pressure. And the only way you stand is not by feelings, but by faith, the faith that you have procured, the faith that you have built now, the faith that says, 
I will hold on to you until you bring me all the way home. It is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality. But this is not true of the crisis before us. The Bible says, and there will be time of distress such as never occurred since written in the book. No, sorry. Time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Is your name in the book? You know, as we spoke in Sabbath school, even though I'm a pastor of this church and I've been a pastor for 15 years, there are times I don't feel the assurance of salvation. There are times where I doubt my own sincerity for the cause of Scripture. But when I have those moments of doubt, I usually just get on my knees and pray a similar prayer that the Pharisee prayed. I believe, help my unbelief. It's not always that I feel I want to come up and preach and speak and talk, but I know that I am saved. And the way I know that I am saved is because it doesn't depend one iota on me, but it depends on what he did for me. He stood up for me, and he will stand up for me. And he has stood up for you, and he has been stood up as he was put on the cross. As the Sabbath school lesson said, he would have died if you would have been the only sinner to have died. And the quote there in the Sabbath school lesson went even further. He would have suffered the pain and humiliation just for one. And that is why I trust him. I've seen him operate in my life. I've seen him in the life of the church. I've seen him operate in the life of this church. Is your name in the book of life? Michael stands up at the beginning. Michael stands up. At the beginning of this prophecy, he stands up at the end of this prophecy. And life and every prophetic moment has been fulfilled according to the word of God. When the stench of sin has reached its culmination at the death decree of God's people, Michael will stand up. Verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. You know the song we sing, the Ancient of Days, that we will conclude here finally? Right, in Daniel chapter 7, it says the Son of Man will come to who? the Ancient of Days, right? And, and if you remember from the Gospels, the, the high priest asked Jesus something. Are you the Christ or are you God? And Jesus says, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. And that's... What remember what the uh, the leader did, the high priest did when Jesus said, "You will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds." He tore his robe because he understood clearly that Jesus was declaring himself to be God, the Son of Man. He will come in the clouds. Will you be there waiting for him? Many will sleep in the dust. There is a special resurrection that is alluded because Jesus told Caiaphas that you will see me coming in the hand of power. And that's what this is alluding to. Can you imagine his face in surprise when he is arisen from the grave and he sees the humble Lamb of God who was stricken and beat and crucified coming once again, but this time in kingly robes with all power, glory, and honor. Look at verse 
3. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Now, this week I got a letter from some, you know who I'm talking about, that said, see, the papacy cannot be the little horn because this is written for the end times. Right? It says clearly, right? It says, it says, but as for you, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Well, when was Daniel written? A long, long time ago. Where are we today? At the end of time. At the end of this timeline. Remember, Daniel wrote way before this. Even bef wrote it way before this. We are now at the end of in end of time. Remember, Jesus operates this way. He said, behold, I have told you in advance, so when it happens, you will know that it was I who told you so. This is God's modus of, op of operation. He told us in advance, so when it happens, we can look back and know he told us so. Don't miss what he told Daniel there. He told him that it was sealed for the end of time. Seal of the book unto the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Sometimes evangelists like to talk about, look at your iPhone and look at space travel. No, it was knowledge about the book of Daniel and the realities that we see in Daniel. There is no more time prophecy after this. So if there's no more time prophecy after this, then what are, what's the next prophecy? The death decree and the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are almost home. Let's keep reading here. Then I, Daniel, verse 5, looked and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on the other bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and left hand towards heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it will be for times, times, and half a times in Bible prophecy that is 1260 years. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all the events will be completed. As for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And I love verse 9. Please do not miss verse 9. He said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. God has promised that there will be a people who understand these prophecies, and here we are. I make no apologies for that. God has given us this prophetic understanding. Daniel did not understand in his day, but he said those in the end times would understand. Let's keep reading. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1335 days. And verse 13 is my favorite verse in this chapter, besides Michael standing up. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Daniel arrived 
to Babylon as a teenager. At this juncture, he's pushing 90. He longed to go home. He never made, he never made it back to Jerusalem. But I don't want to go back to my earthly home. Like Abraham said, like they say of Abraham in chapter 11 of Hebrews, he had every opportunity to go home, back to his native land. But he was looking for a city and builder whose architect is God. How would you love to be Daniel and hear the words, sleep now, but your portion is settled in heaven? What an assurance. He wasn't able to go back to Jerusalem, but he was assured that he was going to be in the true promised land. I'm going to show you another slide with these added dates in it. But I want to ask you another question. Not silly, but will illustrate the point. Have you ever sent out an email? Raise your hand. Right? Silly, right? Have you ever sent out an important email? Yes or no? But in the grand scheme of things, right, in the thousands perhaps or maybe even millions of emails you have sent out since you got mail. That's how old I am, right? Some of you remember that, where you had to dial up to get the internet, right? From the thousands of emails you have, I have sent, to say an important email went out would not really mean anything unless you know what important email went, right? Right, it's just an email. An email is an email. You wouldn't think any importance, but let me share with you. I sent out an email that changed my life. Now, is that important, yes or no? Right? But in the grand scheme of things, saying I sent out an email just blends in with all the million emails. I've sent plenty of jokes on email that were dad jokes. That's an email. And I sent this one email that changed my life. They're both emails. And in the grand scheme of all my emails, you would think you wouldn't know to look at that particular date because, man, this guy's life is boring, all these emails. But let me tell you what that email was. I'll tell you the first line of that email that changed my life. It said, when do you want to get married? I'm serious. You may think I'm joking, but I'm dead serious. I know we may have to get to know each other, see if it works out. But when do you want to get married? That's the first interaction I had with my wife. See, I had prayed three total days. And the Lord impressed me as we met online. That to reach her, I had to be bold, shock and awe, basically. Some of you may know where that's from, but I had to shock and awe. And she replied, other than being terrified at your boldness, I'm intrigued. I'll write back in two weeks. She made me wait two weeks. But can you say that an email was important? Yes, it is, because here we are three kids later. But in the grand scheme, if you were just looking through my emails, not knowing about that email, you wouldn't know which is the most important email. Now, let me ask you a more serious question. What is this event? 9-11. Young people, raise your hand if you were born after September 11th, 2001. If you were born after that. Okay. Right? Now, September 11, post-September 11, that world is all you know. That is it. You don't know what the world was like pre-9-11. But for those of us who are old enough to understand the ramifications, our civil liberties have been encroached ever since they passed the Patriot Act. 
However, to our young people, they don't know any different because this is the world they have grown up in. And so to many young people, member 9-11 means nothing to them. It's not a significance. We will never forget means nothing to them, but it means the world to me. For I had friends who walked home in soot from that day. I grew up in New York City. I moved from New York City 11 days prior to this to study theology. Matter of fact, that day I was supposed to start working at the Olive Garden that helped me put through college. And I heard the radio say a plane has crashed at the World Trade Center. And I said to myself, well, I don't believe anything in the radio because growing up in New York City, there was a lot of pranks. So I ran to the TV and I saw the second plane hit the building. I called my job and I told them I'm not starting today. I'm from New York. You know that. I have friends and family that live there. I want to make sure they're safe. But that world, pre-9-11, is different, young people, than the world you're living in now. You have what you think is freedom, but it's been curtailed. The civil liberties, the government spying on us, all that since the Patriarch has been different. But if you ask the young people, we live in the land of the free, nothing's different. I highlight those two things because a historical event can look like nothing unless you understand its significance. And so here we have the beginning of those prophetic dates. In 508, the 1290 years lead us to the end of the 1260 years. Let me move for some people. And the 1335 years start here, 508, and lead us to right before my, uh, the investigative judgment. Now, why is these events important? Well, in 508, remember in the prophecy of Daniel, the divided Europe and the little horn arising. Well, in order for the little horn to have dominion over the 1260 years, they had to get rid of the three Aryan tribes that were actually governing from the city of Rome. You can't be the supreme leader if somebody is sleeping in your bed. But Justinian got rid of them in 508. And that opened the door to papal supremacy. But however, in 538, something took place that was 1260 years. If your hands are tied behind your back and your legs are tied and they put you in the ring with Mike Tyson, do you have a chance? No. Right? You could untie me and untie my legs. I still don't have a chance. But right, you're hampered. Now, however, if they put you in the ring with Mike Tyson and you have an army with you, do you have a chance? Yes. In 538 was the official union of church and state. The papacy was given an army to inflict its dictates. And that's when the 1260 years began. Now you look back at history, like the email I told you, and the 9-11 for some young people, people don't see that as significant. But when you know what happened here, and I, and I, and I invite you guys to Google, maybe not now or later, the book, Fox Book of Martyrs. Over close to 40 to 60 million people lost their lives. Why? Because a denial of liberty of conscience. 
They could not worship God to the dictates of their own conscience. In matter of fact, many were burned at the stake simply because they did not hold the papacy as supreme. Not for money, not for gold, not for land, not for kingdoms, but for worship. 40 to 60 million are recorded in the Fox Book of Martyrs, paid for their life because they decided, I will stand with Jesus, then worship anyone else. But it's always been like that, hasn't it? Cain killed his brother over worship. Babylon, the Tower of Babel, was erected over worship. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed at the bottom line over worship. Noah and the flood was destroyed over what? The beast in Revelation 13. You cannot buy or sell unless you worship who? The beast. It's always been about worship. And they will try to put you to death because you worship the living God. That's why Michael has to stand up. By the way, in 1798, the deadly wound was given. France captured the Pope, Berthier. He died in exile, and the deadly wound was given, but it's been, it's been healing. The investigative judgment began, and the dead in Christ that Satan has been accusing have been judged. But there will come a time where the judgment will go from the dead to the living. But it won't be about books in heaven if you're alive. The battle will come to your mind, and you will seal your own fate for or against God. When the death decree comes and they say to you, will you worship God or obey man? At that moment, when you're trying to figure out how are you going to feed your kids, pay your mortgage, pay your car, retire, when the pressure comes where you have to take this or that, are you going to stand firm? See, the probation for the living is not in the books of heaven. The probation for the living is the death decree. If you and I are alive, that is what decides your fate. Will you stand with Jesus or will you stand with the world? And the worst thing that can happen to us is to, and I'll use my family as an example as to not perhaps offend anybody. But if my wife has to see my faith quoting scripture wrongly to try to persuade her and the children to leave God, it will be the biggest betrayal she's ever had in her life. After preaching the gospel all my life, to turn on that, and that is the pressure that is coming to you. It won't be an enemy you don't know. It'll be a member of your own family, of your own faith, that will try to persuade you to leave the love of God. But when the blow of death is about to descend, Michael will stand up and he will tear his robes of priestly garment. And he will, he will tear his robes of priestly garment. And slowly he will put on the sash that belongs to a king. He will put on his armor, his crown, his sword. And, and as the meme that I have seen says, it's far time we... We continue to look for the signs of the time, but it's also time to listen for the sound of the trumpet. He's coming back. And this timeline, what it tells us 
even though it's not sexy at times, studying dates and prophecies and conversion, it is the backbone of the prophecy that Jesus is coming back. If this has happened, and this has happened, and praise God, he died for us, and it has happened. If this has happened, and this has happened, and this has happened, and these dates have happened. If this has happened, and this has happened, then why wouldn't the second coming happen? He's promised. He's coming. But will you stand up with him? The pressure is going to be so intense. And it's going to be in your mind. It's going to say, give up. It's not worth it following him. Look at all you've lost. The one you have lost. Look at the price you have paid. Look at your body. It's famished. It's hungry. Jesus did not look like the son of God when the devil came to tempt him. Ladies, how would you like to be 40 days without washing your hair? How would your armpits smell after 40 days? Men, ladies, how famished would you look after 40 days without eating? How crackly and dry would your skin look for not drinking for 40 days? We've been told the crisis before us will be worse in reality than in anticipation. That's why Michael has to stand up. Because we're going to get to the point where we can't take it anymore. But at that moment, that little cloud will be seen far away. Told the size of a fist. And we'll know our redemption is near. Just hang on. He's coming. He's coming. I don't know how many of you have a personal relationship with Christ. How many of you have really committed and decided, I'm going to stand with you every step of the way. We've seen the pressures the government can put on people during this pandemic. Whether you were pro-vaccine or no vaccine, that's not the point. It was the forcing of people who did not want liberty of conscience. Will you stand with Christ? That's your desire. I'm going to ask you to stand now. And the reason ministers do that is not for numbers, it's not, but it's to declare to the universe in the sight of the unseen world that we battle against powers and principalities. I'm going to stand, may the heavens fall. I'm going to stand with Jesus. And I've told my family this and my wife, I'm going to stand even if my daughters and my wife betray me. Because I have tasted and seen that the Lord can change a sinner like me. He can do that to anyone. But my wife has taken the similar pledge to each other in our conversations. Honey, if you turn, me and my girls will move in with my dad and we will follow the Lord all the way home. Kids, young people, your parents can't decide that for you. You have to make that choice for yourself. Your sisters, your siblings can't decide that for you. I know there's a lot of temptations. I was young, dumb. Well, you're not dumb, but I was. Doing things that by the grace of God, I would be in jail now if it wasn't for the grace of God. There are pressures upon you young people that we who are older do not battle with. But your parents can't make that decision for you. And now let me talk to the old people, the grandparents, with adult kids who have kids, who great-grandparents. Don't think because you raised your kids for Christ, now I can kick up my feet and relax. As long as there is breath in your body, he is after you to try to get you to give up right before the finish line. 
to let go of your hold on Christ. Don't do it. Don't be tempted. For the rest of us, encourage a young people, hold hands with an older person, and point all of us to Jesus. Last thing I'll say. But as for you, church, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again at your allotted, allotted portion at the end of age. May that be your reality. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. Thank you for the book of Daniel. Thank you for this timeline that assures us every day happened, the second coming will happen. Father, as we sing this final song, may each heart surrender to you on a daily basis. May the young people make that decision. May each couple make that decision on their own and together. May we bring each other and encourage each other home. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.